This episode is brought to you by the Italian Wine Academy, teaching WSET levels 1, 2, and 3 in English, right here in Verona, the home of the Italian Wine Podcast. Want to become part of the international wine sector? Need a worldwide recognized certification? Don't know where to start? You can easily complete our courses while you enjoy the fun and excitement of Verona. Make your vacation good value for money by adding a wine certificate to your souvenirs. Visit our website at italianwineacademy.org for more information and sign up today to start your personal adventure in global wine education. Welcome to Jumbo Shrimp Wine Study Maps. We have specially created this free content for all our listeners who are studying for wine exams. This has been a journey of development since Stevie Kim discovered Rosie Baker's hand-drawn maps on Instagram through two years of work by our in-house editorial and graphics team, and now the maps are available to purchase in beta form while they undergo the final proofing and editing by our expert advisory board. It's a three-layered project because we know everyone learns differently. We now offer the complete box set of 39 maps, this series of podcasts with the maps narrated by our crack team of wine educators, and finally, the study guide book, which will be published later this year. Our map project is in no way a substitute for the material set out by other educational organizations, but we hope all the wine students out there will find our map project a new, exciting, and useful tool for learning. For more information and to buy the maps, please visit our website at mamajumboshrimp.com. Welcome to the Jumbo Shrimp Wine Study Maps podcast. In this episode, we will be looking at the USA map. The United States of America is the fourth largest producer and now largest consumer of wine in the world. And while there is at least one winery in each of its 50 states, we will focus on the four largest states producing nearly all the quality Vitis vinifera wine, California, Washington, Oregon, and New York. Since California is by far the largest and most important producer of wine in the U.S., it will be covered in more detail in a subsequent podcast. America is a vast country with regional climates ranging from arid desert to tropical wetlands, from mountainous alpine to continental grasslands. But the best grape growing regions are in the temperate to continental areas. There is a two-pronged history of winemaking in America. One, from the grapevines Spanish missionaries brought with them as they colonized Mexico and the western areas of America. And two, the native wild grapevines common to the eastern half of the country. But these native grapes made generally unpleasant wine, so attempts were made to import and plant European Vitis vinifera vines. It wasn't until the scourge of phylloxera was solved by grafting onto native American rootstock that the wine industry in the country started to grow in the beginning of the 20th century, especially in the eastern U.S. But the passage of prohibition laws in 1920 outlawing, and I quote, the manufacture, sale, or transportation of intoxicating liquors, unquote, caused most wineries to close or to switch to table grapes. And by its repeal in 1933, most of the wine industry that survived was in California. It took several decades for the consumer demand for fine dry wine to support the industry, definitely encouraged by the success of California wines at the famous 1976 Paris blind tasting. Because the wine industry is fairly young, the labeling laws in the United States are more about truth and labeling for place of origin and do not contain the same restrictions as most of the wine laws of Europe. A winemaker may use any grape variety at any yield with just about any vinification technique if the federal and state rules for labeling are followed. The creation of the American Viticultural Area, or AVA system, started in the early 1980s as specified zones based on geography and climate. These first zones simply followed boundaries like state or county, 
then became more specific to define and protect unique wine-growing areas regardless of map lines. The federal rules for wines listed with an AVA are as follows. 1. If grape variety is listed, 75% of the wine must be that grape, although there are a couple exceptions and a few states do have stricter rules. 2. 85% of those grapes must come from the stated AVA, or only 75% if the label uses just county, state, or country name, but 95% if the wine is labeled as a single vineyard. And three, 95% of the grapes must come from the stated vintage. Now, not all wines qualify or use a specific AVA, but those that do must adhere to these 75, 85, 95% rules. So from east to west, let's look at some of the important regions and AVAs. In the northeast sits the large state of New York, stretching between the Great Lakes in the west and the Atlantic Ocean in the east, most of New York has a humid continental to maritime climate. While there are pockets of fine wine production near the Great Lakes, Erie, Ontario, and on the coastal Long Island, about 90% of the state's wines come from the Finger Lakes AVA. This area in the center of the state can have hot and humid summers, bitterly cold winters, spring frosts, and harvest rains. But these extremes of weather are moderated by the 11 fingers, these deep glacial lakes and their surrounding hills that cool the area during the hottest summer months, extending the growing season and storing enough heat through the winter to allow the vines to avoid winter freeze and spring frosts. Hybrids of French and American vines and Native American grapes still dominate the overall production of the area, but in the 1950s, Dr. Constantine Frank founded Vinifera Cellars, and he proved that cool climate European grapes could thrive in this area with a climate that is quite similar to Germany's. So Riesling is by far the most planted grape, with producers making on average two to three different sweetness level wines a year. Thank you for listening to Italian Wine Podcast. We know there are many of you listening out there, so we just want to interrupt for a small ask. Italian Wine Podcast is in the running for an award, the best podcast listening platform through the Podcast Awards, the People's Choice. Listener nominations is from July 1st to the 31st, and we would really appreciate your vote. We are hoping our listeners will come through for us. So if you have a second and could do this small thing for us, just head to italianwinepodcast.com from July 1st to the 31st and click the link. We thank you and back to the show. But other cool climate grapes are gaining in popularity. Chardonnay, Cabernet Franc, Pinot Noir, Gewurz Jumiter, and Merlot. These 11 glacial lake gorges provide steep slopes that are ideal for growing grapes, one, by giving good sun aspect, and two, providing airflow, thereby limiting the potential for frost in the vineyard. These vineyards generally sit on a mix of shale, siltstone, and limestone bedrock, these layers covered with varying depths of well-draining loam topsoil. It sounds familiar. These are the same types of soils we discussed when speaking of the old world origins of these grapes. Moving across the country to the northwest corner, we get to Washington State, the second largest producer of vinifera wine in the U.S. The western half of the state is dominated by the Cascade Mountain Range and, as you see on the map, the imposing Mount Rainier. When most people think of Washington, and therefore its largest city, Seattle, they think of constant rain and lush evergreen forests. But the Cascade Range creates such a significant rain shadow that the eastern half of Washington only averages 6 to 12 inches of rain a year. This arid continental, almost desert-like climate, has hot, dry summers, cold winters with heavy snowfall, the threat of spring frost, and autumn freezes. Irrigation is not only allowed, 
what makes viticulture possible in this region. And after harvest and fall pruning, farmers will actually shut off water to the vines, letting them go dormant to avoid freeze damage during the winter, where the frozen moisture in the vine actually splits the trunk. But the long growing season is ideal for quality viticulture, as the arid conditions almost eliminate pest and moisture disease problems, while the northerly latitude gives additional hours of sunlight and large diurnal temperature shifts ensure balanced grape development of sugar and acid and phenolics. The largest appellation is the Columbia Valley AVA, which at four, almost four and a half million hectares is twice the size of Tuscany. The Columbia River Gorge, carved from multiple ancient glacial floods and its tributary rivers, provide the irrigation and moderating temperature influences for most of the region. These floods swept away most of the topsoil, leaving just thin layers of dirt over the basalt bedrock. And even in vineyard sites with deeper fertile soil, the lack of water and the arid climate create just enough vine stress for quality grapes. Typically, vineyards are planted on south-facing slopes to increase sun exposure and protect from northerly winds and provide good drainage for when there is rain. Most of the other important AVAs, like Yakima Valley, Walla Walla Valley, and Red Mountain, are nested within the larger Columbia Valley AVA. While grape growing in these areas dates to the 1850s, that's when immigrants from places like Italy and Germany planted their vines, the modern wine industry is quite new. When Yakima Valley was named the first official appellation in 1983, there were only 20 wineries in the entire state. Now, there are over a thousand. Cabernet Sauvignon is the most planted variety now, with vineyards on Red Mountain and Horse Heaven Hill AVAs considered among the best in the country. Warm, sunny, long-growing seasons are ideal for this late-ripening grape. While the windy, arid conditions and high pH soils of regions lead to thicker skin, smaller berries, and more compact clusters for nearly all of the red grapes, Merlot is second in production and might be Washington's signature grape for the value in many of these fruity but quite often age-worthy wines. However, Syrah, especially from the rocky vineyards of Walla Walla AVA, receives much critical acclaim and has drawn more than a few French winemakers. If you look at a globe, it does sit just above the 46th parallel, same as the Northern Rhone. For white grapes in Washington, Chardonnay and Riesling are the dominant plantings, although both tend to be made into wines that simply aim to satisfy the American palate for easily quaffable whites. But the better Chardonnays, given the long, warm growing season, are a winemaker's delight, having enough ripe tropical fruit flavors to easily meld with the addition of toasty oak and the best Rieslings can be in the full-bodied trocken or dry style, easily achieving ripeness while early harvest can still capture its signature acidity. Two of Washington's wine laws to remember. Any wine labeled with one of the state's AVAs must contain 95% of Washington grapes. And it was the first state to regulate the label designation of reserve, thereby limiting those bottlings to a winery's best wine and less than 10% of its total production. In much of the U.S., Reserve is simply a choice that goes on a label. Crossing south over the Columbia River, we enter Oregon, which is the fourth largest wine-producing state. Here on the northern border, it does share some of Washington's AVAs, but the focus of Oregon wine is the Willamette Valley with Pinot grapes. And it's pronounced Willamette, damn it, now you can't forget. A 150-mile-long valley in the western third of the state runs south from the largest city of Portland, Willamette Valley accounts for over 75% of Oregon's wine production, yet that's only 1% of the total U.S. It is bordered to the east by the large Cascade Range and protected from the cold Pacific Ocean by the smaller coastal range on the west. This gives Willamette a cool Mediterranean climate, 
cool to cold wet winters, but warm, sunny, and rarely hot summers. This growing season is most often long and dry, with the biggest concern being if winter rains will arrive off the ocean before harvest. Remember those Ice Age floods that scoured the hills of eastern Washington? This is where most of that soil was deposited, 300 miles away. So the valley floor of the Willamette River Basin is quite fertile, and in some areas the soil is over a kilometer deep. But the gently rolling hills on the valley sides make for ideal vineyard sites with good aspect, usually south, drainage, flow, and myriad soil types depending on the AVAs. There are six smaller appellations that are nested within the Willamette Valley AVA. Now, the oldest bedrock on these hills is either uplifted marine sediment, which includes fleech, topped in many areas by volcanic basalt from the formation of the Cascade Range. That volcanic basalt comes from lava flows that were under the ocean when this was part of the Pacific Ocean. A break in the coastal range, which is called the Van Duzer Corridor, brings cooling fog into the valley during the summer mornings, which lessens the vineyard sun exposure and lengthens the growing season, which is especially important for Pinot Noir. That grape is king here. It is more than 70% of the vineyard plantings in Willamette Valley. Oregon wine laws require that any wine labeled as Pinot Noir, or for other grapes such as Pinot Gris, Chardonnay, and Riesling, must contain 95% of the varietal, which is much stricter than the 75% required in most other parts of the country. And an AVA wine must contain 95% of grapes from that region, rather than the federal level of 85%. The dominance of Pinot Noir started with a handful of wine pioneers coming from California in the 1960s and 70s. Here they found a cooler and more temperate region, more akin to the vineyards of the Côte d'Or in France. And by 1988, even the famous Drouin family of Burgundy was fully invested in a new Willamette winery. As you've learned or will learn from other wine map podcasts, Pinot Noir is quite sensitive to place. It needs sunshine to ripen, but not too much, or its thin skins will burn. It needs a long-growing season to reach full phenolic ripeness, but is susceptible to moisture diseases like mildews, and that thin skin makes it necessary to farm and harvest by hand, generally from smaller vineyards. The Willamette Valley offers all of these advantages. Because Pinot Noir expresses terroir so well, it is difficult to generalize the flavor profiles but often the wines here are considered lighter, more delicate, and more perfumed than those in California, while at the same time be considered riper and more fruit-forward than their Burgundy counterparts. What is certain is that Pinot Noir is Oregon's signature grape. Pinot Gris is Oregon's most planted white varietal, followed distantly by Chardonnay and Riesling. Now, most of the Pinot Gris made here is not labeled as Pinot Grigio because it follows the Alsatian style. More full-bodied, ripestone and tropical fruits, even when usually vinified without oak influence. Chardonnay that's gained attention in the Willamette Valley and in Oregon has often been used in high-quality sparkling wine in the Method Champenoise or Matoto Classico style. Following the map to southern Oregon, the large southern Oregon AVA, where the narrower Umpqua and Rogue River valleys flow east to west into the Pacific, has a wider range of grapes planted, as the area tends to be warmer and drier with less cooling ocean influence. That is our tour of the United States. Join me again for a deeper look into the wine regions of California. Thanks for listening to this episode of Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Italian Wine Academy, offering WSET levels 1, 2, and 3 in English. Visit our website at italianwineacademy.org for more information and sign up today to start your personal adventure in global wine education right here in the heart of Verona. Remember to subscribe 
and like Italian Wine Podcast and catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. You can also find our entire back catalog of episodes at italianwinepodcast.com. Ching ching! I'm Joy Livingston, and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love, and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.